Welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode number 211. This week, we talk with Joe Zach from the Coding Blocks podcast about Jamstack. 10 rules for a better conference name badge. How many keywords can you fit into a C-sharp expression? And Google throws up its arms in Louisville and cancels their fiber internet plans. Raygun gives you complete visibility on errors, crashes, and performance problems affecting your end users. Replicate issues in seconds rather than digging through log files or having to rely on users to report errors or crashes. Raygun gives you a window into how users are really experiencing your software applications. Check it out today at raygun.com. This week we have Joe Zach. He's a longtime full stack developer, enthusiastic jam stacker, and one third of the Coding Blocks podcast. How's it going, Joe? Going great. Thanks for having me on. I know that we don't do video anymore, but I really like your hat. Yeah, it's <laughs> beautiful and it fits great. I have a big head, so I, I'm a lover of this hat. Yeah, it's the it's the MS Dev Show hat. Um, those are nice quality hats. So, you know, if you if anybody wants one of those hats, I don't know if Carl has any more, but just uh, shake them down for some swag. <laughs> okay, if you ever see Carl, just shake them and grab the swag. Uh, so Carl, did you see our uh, our Super Bowl commercial? Pretty epic. <laughs> yeah. So hopefully everybody saw that. Like it was pretty quick. It was only thirty seconds long. Causes five and a half million dollars. So hopefully everybody saw that. We blew pretty much our half of our marketing budget on that commercial. <laughs> so <laughs> that would be nice if that was half <laughs> yeah, marketing budget. Can you imagine? That'd just be awesome. Everybody's like, "What the heck is the MS Dev Show podcast?" <laughs> So anyway, so speaking of sponsor, so I wanted to, we're, uh, we uh, re- basically renewed with Raygun. They have been a sponsor of ours for quite some time now, and we just love having them as a sponsor and they have such a great product. And we've, uh, you know, we've had John Daniel Trask on uh, a couple of times and man, I just love talking to that guy every time because he is so incredibly smart. I think it's really cool the way that the the company is run and they're, you know, they're a relatively small, like private company, but they're, they're just doing a whole bunch of really cool stuff to, uh, to make developers lives easier. So I just wanted to say, uh, thank you to Raygun and we're going to, we're going to change, uh, you know, some of the, some of the sponsorship spots that, uh, that they talk about on the show here. So pretty excited about that. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, okay, Carl, what do we have for the comment of the week? Uh, the comment of the week was given to me via direct message. He says, by the way, just got done with your latest episode. You guys are so great with news type stuff. It's been nice having you guys back on the rig. And that actually came from a listener called Joe Zach. Oh, <laughs> that was me. <laughs> well, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, we uh, we had a couple episodes where we didn't have a guest. And, uh, you know, we, we've kind of gone back and forth on this. Like we, we love doing the ones where we don't have a guest, but we always worry about not having enough to talk about. And then for whatever reason, we have a list of like 12 different things to talk about. And, uh, we ended up skipping some episodes last year and, um, which was really unfortunate. I I think that it's better just to be, you know, be on a regular schedule. So basically we've, we've sort of committed, um, you know, we, we might miss one here or there, but uh, if we don't have a guest, we're just not going to stress about it. We're still going to go ahead with the, with the episode. Yep. So. so if you want to get mentioned on the show, uh, email us at feedback at msdevshow.com or comment on our website or on Twitter. We especially love those five-star iTunes reviews or just send me a direct message. Absolutely. Apparently that works too. Yeah. And we actually, uh, so we we do really love those five-star iTunes reviews and the comments that we get in there. We actually, uh, I forwarded all the newest ones onto the sponsor. 
uh, just to show like the, the love of the show. So thank you everybody who put kind words in there. Like it's, it's actually tough for me to read because it's just so incredibly positive. And I, I just want to make sure people aren't mixing us up with a different podcast, like the coding blocks podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I think there's like an iTunes glitch where we're getting somebody else's, but uh, thank you to anybody who uh, intentionally sent us a a very positive message. Um, Okay. So let's jump into the news. We have a whole bunch of stories that we wanted to cover. So, uh, and I think they're all interesting. So the first one, your 10 rules for a better uh, conference name badge. This is a great topic. Yeah, this was, this was, I thought, really interesting because I've been at conferences that were the, the name badge is amazing, mm-hmm. and I've been at some that kind of suck. And, you know, as somebody who also kind of organizes conferences uh, or user groups and code camps and stuff like that, I've also, like, done horrible job at this myself. Mm-hmm. So uh, the let's get right into it. It says, everyone must wear a badge, no exceptions. Um, you know, if not everybody has them on, you might not know if uh, they're even part of the conference or, you know, if they're the cleaning staff or something. You don't want to make that mistake. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also got to be big. If, if it's small and tiny, uh, you know, it, it, it's hard. You know, like, you don't want to, like, get up real close and just kind of, like, lean into people. That's kind of, you know, <laughs> getting in on some personal space issues right there. You well, wanna- yeah, and I was going to say, what if you, what if it's somebody that you don't see that often? You're like, I recognize them and I remember talking to them. I just can't remember their name. It's sort of rude to be like, oh, yeah, Joe Zach, that's, that's, yeah. uh, now I remember who you are. Yeah. You're you, squinting you want- in the belly. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, de-emphasize the conference logo. You probably know why you're there. Um, and, uh, you know, that's not something you always have to, like, reinforce over the top. Yeah. Uh, the name must be readable from at least 15 feet away. I think that really goes to what you're saying. Like, yep. hey, if is that Joe? Oh, yeah, no, that's that's Patrick. That's his twin brother, Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, I want to mention, I was at a conference very recently, and we were at a breakout session and going back and forth, and there was one other person there that was just really helpful, and, and they were really helping us out with some of the questions that my organization had. And then after we left the breakout, I went up to to go say hi, you know, say thanks for uh, all the help. And I realized after being able to real, real, read their badge that they were a direct competitor. <laughs> so in that case, maybe it was good that their name was a little bit small and, you know, we couldn't read across the table. Oh, that's clever. Like some unintentional anonymization. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, don't use all caps. Uh, that's really hard to read, especially from a distance. Mm-hmm. And like, I think all these are like pretty straightforward. Uh, no flipping. Don't allow the the lanyard design to allow them to flip over. I mean, is I've that possible? That I don't. Yeah, how do you if, not allow it. If uh, so, I know that at least when I was an MVP, they put the lanyard so it attaches on the sides, not in the center. Uh-huh. So a lot of times they do it in the center just oh, to be cheap. Oh, okay. I'm and an if idiot. you put. And if you put two holes in there and allow it to clip on each of those holes, then they, it won't flip around. Yes. In additional, uh, one year at that conference, they still had the center design, mm-hmm. but they gave out this, this weird plastic and rubber looking thing. And half the people didn't know what it was used for until like day three when somebody figured out they were actually to keep your lanyard from flipping. Okay. Yeah. See, I, I, you know, being the idiot I am, I, I thought the only way to do this, I, I always was like, why don't they put the, the name on the front and the back that way when it flips around? Cause it's nothing is more frustrating than seeing the back of it. And then you're like, well, I guess I'm not getting their name. I guess I have to talk to them and, you know, ask that awkward question. So this is even better, I guess, if there's no flipping. Yep. Uh, rule number eight, the lanyard should be adjustable. Everybody's different size, shape. You know, let's make it comfortable. You don't want it, like you said, down by your belly, and you don't want it choking off your neck. 
Yep. I, I do like there's an example of one down here where it has the ask me about and the three things on there. It's funny because I, I thought I had independently invented. Well, apparently I have independently invented that as well because um, in our internal uh, meetings, we do this now. And uh, that was an idea that I had. So every time we have like a within our part of the organization, whenever we have any kind of event and we have name tags, it, it says like, you know, ask me about and I'll put like IOT or, you know, something like that on there. Um, I do really like that for conferences, you know, because then, you know, if you see somebody who has the same thing on there is you'd be like, hey, that's pretty cool. Let's let's talk about that. Hey, you have Jamstack. I have Jamstack. Let's jam. Yeah, I'm awkward at the best of times. So being able to have something that kind of gives me a clue as to an icebreaker, that's a yeah. great, great starter. Exactly. Okay, so let's move on to the next story here. Is China's corruption-busting AI system zero trust being turned off for being too efficient? <laughs> yeah, so you know, I think that's a little bit of a, a stretch of a title. But you know, mm-hmm. in, in China, they have this system that's based on AI that helps detect fraud and corruption in government officials. And uh, apparently, it immediately caught like 8,700 officials like doing things. <laughs> uh, but you have to remember that, I mean, China is so huge, they've got like 50 million people in the government. Right. So you have to look at it at that scale, too. And, you know, in addition, this also hasn't been like thrown out there wide, too. They're kind of putting it on like the fringe. You know, they don't want to put it in the huge government mm-hmm. pieces first where there might be some. Uh, resistance because, you know, if I'm a corrupt official and you want me to install this corruption detecting software, what am I going to do? I'm going to be like, uh, no, I'm blocking that. <laughs> well, but, so, yeah, well, I was gonna say what I what I think is interesting about this whole thing is how they're doing the facial rec. I mean, they're just doing like facial recognition. I mean, this is the first like, I don't want to call it misuse, but this is like the first like, you know, futuristic, like, let's let's facially recognize everybody and and correlate all of this information and uh, see what uh, see what comes out of it. Well, and it's not just facial recognition. It's also looking at uh, bank transactions and comparing them to things that you've been a part of. So if, if you've just like helped close a deal in the government and all of a sudden you get like this, you know, like equivalent to $50,000, like jumping into your account from nowhere. Yeah. You know, that's going to get red flagged. Uh, But one of the things I thought was kind of interesting with this is out of those like 8,700 people, like a lot of times they just got warnings and stuff. You know, the big thing that this is trying to do is find people who are doing like the little corruption thing. You know, what's the small things? And, you know, correct them before they get into the big corruption. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Which which I thought was interesting point of view to look at. No, it is. It is for sure. For sure. Okay. Uh, Should we move on? Uh, Navigation should be boring. Yeah, so I'm actually uh, taking a while for this link to open. Oh, no problem. Many- I can talk about it. I mean, they 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 talk in the article about, um, you know, people try to get fancy in some of these apps, uh, like with some even like a hamburger menu, which I guess isn't that fancy, but they have some examples in here where things are hidden behind certain icons, um, and they the developers probably had good intentions, but you know, design and user experience is a really complicated uh, topic. Um, but they do have some concrete examples in here that I think people can, can learn from. So Google Translate at the end, they show there used to be three icons. I actually remember this uh, because I did find it confusing. I'm like, what do these icons do? Because there's a camera, a microphone, and then I don't know what the heck that thing is. Uh, oh, it's a, it's literally a squiggly line. And it's like, what? Um, so they actually switched that to a, uh, a tab design with words. So it'll say camera, handwriting, conversation, and voice. And uh, 
I can attest, you know, so they saw, what is a 25% increase in usage of handwriting feature and increase in usage of all features. And I can attest to this. I was in Google translate recently and I noticed the conversation button and I'm like, what is that? And it's actually really cool because it's for alternating and switching the translation with two people talking. Um, so anyway, this was just a good, uh, you, you, uh, user experience tip. So we'll have that in the show notes. Uh, what do we have here? Next one. I hate numer. Numerons? Numer- 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 yeah, it's a hard word. <laughs> Numeronym? Oh, yeah, it's so, Numeronym. Yeah. That's why I hate so, it. It's a stupid so, word. <laughs> so, for, first of all, this this is my opinion. This is not a news article. This is, The link, if you go to it, will bring you up to the definition of this in Wikipedia. Yeah. Um. So, you know, we see these kind of all over the place. What What this literally just means is when you have a word and you replace part of the word with a number. So if you look at Kubernetes, it's K8S. Yep. In, in, in many of these, that, that number in the middle is how many letters is being replaced. And the one that really bugs me is accessibility because it's, it, it's wrong on many le- levels that it violates the, the point of what accessibility is. So it's A11Y, which is not accessible if you don't know what that means. Uh, it's also not accessible because it looks like a real world called Ally. Uh, but I keep seeing these numeronyms popping up all over the place. And this is just an opinion for me. Like it's, it, to me, I don't see how this, uh, like reinforces a brand or help makes it easy to re- uh, remember. Uh, especially since like a, a lot of these also conflict with other ones. Um, if you go to that list on Wikipedia, there's like a bunch of them that just like you have the same shortened word that goes to totally different topics. Yeah, some of so, these are really stupid. Like, this is a good example. Multilingualization, M17N. Like, how <laughs> how is that helping anybody? And if you don't know what that is, like, you, you know, there's also one A12N is both administration and Africanization. Yeah, there was one in here, too. There were all the, the ones that are stupid, too, like W3. You're saving one letter versus WWW. I guess it's easier to say, but whatever. Did you read about that first one? Uh, it's a little off topic, but it's the one, four, three is I love you. And I'm like, oh, that's what, what is that from? And it's the number of letters in each one. And there's actually <sighs> uh, an interesting story behind that. It was um, uh, Mr. Rogers said it. And then he actually maintained a weight of 143 pounds for the last 30 years of his life. Actually, it was 137. Well, that's not what this says. Yeah, that one's wrong. Oh, oh, 130. Well, how does this make any sense, though? That's not yeah, I love it you. It's not. <laughs> okay but it also fake says news. this is this whole thing is fake you're saying well that that was mr rogers fact oh because it also says because apparently there's a club uh for uh mr rogers and i guess for 143 dollars a year of just 10 monthly payments of 1430 you can join the 143 club <laughs> so i didn't oh, know wow. any of this it's interesting <clears throat> so i knew about that one from the, the pager days so that's what all the people would text me to let me know what they were thinking about. Oh, interesting. <laughs> Did you get a lot of those? <laughs> I'm just like, you're like, you're like, everybody would page me. It's just yeah, page after page after page. Like it was so annoying. I'd turn it off. So awful. Those were terrible days. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, computers in Azure. No, what does that say? Computers? Completers. Completers. Wow. That makes a lot more sense. Completers in Azure PowerShell. Yeah, so this is really cool. There's there's the ability to, you know, we're used to like commands in the 
uh, CLI or in Visual Studio or Visual Studio Code to like you start typing, you hit tab and it auto completes like keywords and things that it uses all the time. But one of the things that's really annoying in the Azure command line is some of the things that you need to type out by hand are like region areas like Australia Southeast. And if you like misspell that or something, it's just going to like fail. Yep. Uh, they've now added completers for all of those dynamic uh, pieces of text. So they could add a new region and you could want to deploy there and you can kind of just start typing the first couple of letters and hit tab and have it autocomplete, uh, which... Uh, is not just for uh, Azure regions. It's just a bunch of them, like uh, resource groups. You have different resource group names than I do. We can kind of auto-complete those as well. That one is epic. The only, my only complaint, I read the co- I was happy with this until I read some of the comments, and like they're like, hey, this isn't in the Azure command line, uh, but it should be. So um, Yeah, I think there's that- something you can do to import it if yeah. it's not there. Yeah, but I just want it to work, so... Um, hopefully I, I assume that they are working on that. I have no inside knowledge, but I assume that they're, that they're working on that because this is, this is awesome to just have cross the board for sure. If not, we'll have to reach out and, uh, yeah, be like, yeah, why give some people some strongly worded, uh, emails. Yeah. So this is probably our most important news story. 230 new emojis and final list for 2019. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, personally, I found this one, uh, very interesting because, uh, I think I mentioned it on the show. I help teach uh, computer science to high schoolers, mm-hmm. and we had just gotten over the uh, the section on like how does text work, and that went into emojis because you know that's just an extension of text. And so, like the very next day in class, I was able to bring this article in, and it was really cool. So every year, the uh, there's a committee that you know approves new emoji, and this year. Uh, 230 of them are being added. Um, they're kind of announcing them now, and throughout the rest of the year, you can, you'll you be able to see these come in. So there's a lot uh, of them, including uh, various different uh, like accessibility. Uh, as we talked mm-hmm. about before, there's like a deaf people uh, emoji. There's uh, emoji for mechanical arms, people with like uh, those probing canes for those who are blind, people in uh, wheelchairs that are both motorized and manual, just like all sorts of ones along those. There's also new animals, uh, uh, food, uh, even an ice cube, which is kind of cool. So uh, (laughs) I see what you did there. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, we use emojis every day and especially as like even different programming languages are accepting emoji as valid, uh, you know, keywords and, and, and placeholders, uh, you know, it, it helps make our world more expressive. So, yeah. uh, Go check uh, these out if you're interested in what you'll soon be able to uh, annoy your friends with. Yeah, pinching head totally won't get misused. <laughs> that was already talked about. <laughs> yeah, we're just going to skip over that one. Uh, okay. Oh, so Joe, are, are, do people send you emoji a lot? Instead uh, no, of one I'm, more thing? I'm, unfortunately, I'm the big emojier uh, in okay. this family. So uh, okay. it's a little bit awkward. It's a little rough. I don't look like an emojier, but I certainly am. <laughs> That's funny. Um, let's see here. How many keywords can I fit into a single C-sharp expression? So, you know, I'm not going to say that that this is definitive, but I I think this is a really cool, just like fun, like when you get something in your head, like how do you express it and get it out? So somebody was, you know, like they were coding in like yield return await, and then they like, hey, those are all keywords. How many keywords, like actual C-sharp keywords can I fit in like one 
expression. And uh, what he came up with was case null, win await, this is false. <laughs> well, and then break. So when, well, I guess that's, so, before, that's after the – is that – I guess it doesn't count if it's after the semicolon, it looks like. Yeah, so you know that's an expression. So it's in, you're already in a switch block, and that's the case line is case null, when await, this is false. Now, I do not know how to trigger that <laughs> statement. <or> really, <laughs> Did you look at the comments then? Because there's one in there, in await value on null equals this, where default as object is false, order by true, descending, select new bool. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously somebody's uh you know found something that's a, a little yeah. bit more extreme than well there's that, a couple but- variations in the comments where they're not quite sure what the rules are behind this but i'm yeah. wondering why is this not a stack overflow flow question because somebody will figure out how to make like it like touring complete or something you know? yeah. so what's the opposite of code golf where you're going for high score <laughs> yeah yeah exactly exactly um, and then the last story here, which I just I just thought was just crazy. So yesterday, as of the time of recording, Google has a post on their uh, fiber blog, which is saying goodbye to Louisville. And uh, basically, they just threw up their hands and said, uh, we give up uh, and we're taking our fiber with us and uh, and we're turning off your service. Um, and then I started clicking around on, on some of the links that they had here because the they have links this- are crazy. Yeah, cause it, which is funny because they link to them. Like I can go look at them. So it, uh, they talk about this micro trenching and, uh, and then you start clicking through. Yeah, it's the Tech Republic link. If you go to the end of it, there's this picture where they show this micro trenching. They basically like do this tiny little trench in the road. Looks like it's only like an inch deep and like an inch wide. And then they shove cable into it. And then they put like a goo over it instead of asphalt, which I guess they're going back and fixing now. Uh, but they just put this goo over it. And I was just, this seems like a horrible, horrible idea. Like anytime they're going to go back and redo this road or I don't just anything like it, it just in, you know, plows are going to grab onto this or something. This seems like a really terrible idea. Now, maybe, maybe the advantages of like being able to wire an entire city in a short period of time, you know, negate the, you know, the, the occasional issues you have with snagging it. Um, I don't know. This I, this is amazing to me that this is a thing. And, and it's also amazing that, you know, it's just because of, you know, their decisions on how to install it is the reason why they're leaving. Yeah. Yeah. They just, they had a whole bunch of issues. So Joe, do you have fiber at your house? Uh, no, I do not have fiber. I'm up to uh, 400 gigs though. Okay. Um, oh, nice. So I'm not, a, I'm not a hardware fan. Those that might be, uh, that might be fiber. You discovered my great weakness already. <laughs> yeah. It's really limiting the number of 143 messages, right? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I was comfortable with pagers and all these gigaflops flying around. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. Okay. So let's uh, let's get into uh, Jamstack here. Uh, do you want to kick us off, Carl? Yeah. So, uh, you know, Jason and I do a, a ton of research uh, about these technologies before we go into. So I immediately search for Jamstack, which is what the topic of the today is. And I know you're really into guitars. And uh, so what kind of amazing amp can I get from Jamstack.io? <laughs> yeah, it keeps coming up when I Google. That's actually a really nice device. It looks like it kind of plugs into your guitar and it's like a, a little portable amplifier that you can go and play by the ocean or you know, out in the desert, like according to the YouTube videos. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so I recommend anybody who's like doing a Google search for this topic, 
learn how to use your flags and do a minus guitar or just click any- or click on the second result <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? or just go learn all your flags i it's probably a good idea anyway yeah. <laughs> minus guitar that's funny right. so okay uh l- l- let's bring this back to the topic though so what is a jam stack yeah, so Jamstack, it's kind of an unfortunate name, and uh, it's an awkward name for a few different reasons, too. Like, when I, we usually talk about stacks, like the Microsoft stack, or LAMP stack, or, or MEAN stack, or MEAN with two E stack. We're usually talking about, like, complementary technologies that fit together, and you can go clone a repository for, like, the MEAN stack and get up and running. But the Jamstack, it's a little bit different in that it's a methodology for building static websites with JavaScript APIs and markup. That's your jam. But it's really not prescriptive about the way you go about doing that aside from the JavaScript. So really, it's just a cute name for a set of best practices for building decoupled front-end wap, waps, uh, <laughs> web apps with a heavy emphasis on build time rendering and content delivery network hosting. Okay. And it took me the longest time to realize that uh, Jam's, Jam was, a, was an acronym <laughs> for, for JavaScript APIs and markup. Um, cause I was one, I'm like, where did that name come from? <laughs> I feel like the name came first and then the rest kind of follow. They kind of made it work. Yeah. And, and, and just like any of these things too, like the, it, it seems like the, you know, people were sort of intuitive, uh, you know, I think there was a group of people that were sort of intuitively putting these technologies together. Like, you know, Hey, I want to have static pages. I want to have uh JavaScript on the client side. That's, uh, that's doing, you know, smart things and, 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 we don't have to like keep going back and refreshing from the server. And then we're going to put everything into a nice uh, restful API and, and make our lives easier. So it seems like this is really, it's, it's really about like, let's name this thing so that we can sort of have a discussion around it. Does that, does that seem accurate? Yeah, absolutely. That's the uh, same thing I came up with. And actually there's a great podcast on the Jamstack radio uh, podcast episode number two with uh, the, the person that coined the term mm-hmm. uh, and who's also a, a founder over at um, Netlify. And that is the exact origin story. That's pretty much how it came up. They're like, we don't want to just say static websites because it kind of gives people the impression of uh, a lot of different things depending on who you're yeah. talking to. But for the most part, a lot of people just kind of think of like hand rolling HTML. And really with the Jamstack and the set of best practices that they've put together and the benefits that those best practices confer if you kind of stick to the rules, it's really kind of its own thing. So the name is just a convenient label so that when I say Jamstack, you know that I'm, I'm talking about a specific set of rules around static sites. Okay. And then so there's a couple of places that where it mentions like pre-built markup. What does that mean? Yeah, that's so that's the one that I struggle with the most. And uh, just to hit those again, it's um, JavaScript, client-side JavaScript. APIs for the A mm-hmm. and markup is the last one. And if you, you Google it, you look into it, they talk about templated markup that should be pre-built at, at deploy time, which is just gibberish to me. <laughs> so the way I've kind of come around and the way I've kind of um, aligned my understanding of that term uh, is basically the idea is that you call your APIs or you pull your files from disk that you want to use in your static site and you are going to go ahead and render those out aesthetic files. So if I have, say, a search engine with podcast episodes in it, I would query that at build time and then generate JSON files that I can then host statically. So as you're browsing through my, through my site, my, uh, my website can go and request those files from the static site rather than hitting like a search engine or a database or some sort of service because I've rendered them out at build time. But really all it's doing is just generating files. It's materializing your data from some sort of service. Okay. So it has to be, it has to be data. Like that doesn't refer to the pages. 
Yeah, so um, every time I read about it, it deals with data. And that's why I really don't like the M. I do feel like that's kind of, they really kind of shoved that in there to make the term cute. Raygun provides full stack error, crash, and performance monitoring for tech teams. Whether you're a software engineer looking to diagnose and resolve issues with greater speed and accuracy, or you're just concerned you're losing customers to poor quality online experiences, Raygun can provide you with the answers. Get full stack error and performance monitoring in one place. The next time you're struggling to replicate errors and performance issues in your code base, think Raygun. Head over to raygun.com. Get up and running within minutes. And dramatically improve the online experience of your users. So, so let me explain like how our website is done because we've kind of like taken like a standard like Docpad uh, like statically generated site. We have we have Markdown. We have some templates that turn those into web pages. Mm-hmm. But what we also do is if you put like a, a .json at the end of any of our URLs, uh, we've actually you can see all of the 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 data that we expose uh, that's in those Markdown files, and it gives it to you in JSON. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're we're taking this Markdown language and it's going through Docpad. It's actually going through two transformations, and we get both a. a like a static website and we're getting uh, like a, a JSON API like uh, response. Mm-hmm. And then in addition, just to like kind of close the loop on APIs, we don't have any like APIs that we use, but we use discus in there to like go out and reach and be a little bit more uh, dynamic for our commenting system. So would you say that we have a jam stack? I would say 100%. Yes. Awesome. Uh, I don't think it's cheating to go out there and, and do those things. In fact, it's often uh, discussed or discuss, however you say it, um, is frequently recommended for content sites as a way to go ahead and get comments and stuff like that. And uh, another example that uh, you see come up a lot is actually e-commerce websites that are built in a jam stacky way where they'll go ahead and render out all the data that doesn't change often, like pictures and product descriptions. But then they'll fetch things like sale prices or inventory real time. And that's that's legit. That's kind of built into it. That's the A in, in the Jamstack. Now, anything that you can grab at build time, the better, because it's you know saving service calls. It's it just works out better and it's more performant. And you get all the, the advantages of hosting on a CDN, but it's not cheating to grab the stuff that you need when you need it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, like like Carl said. I mean, we we generate the whole site, and then the this whole idea, like we, we, we thought we really couldn't do a APIs, uh, with a static site. I mean, obviously you can, you can do like a separate API, but we thought we couldn't do that. And then it was like, wait a second, we can, we can just generate our data and just, and do it statically. And I, I think it works really well. I mean, our main feed is, is, uh, Libsyn and I think they're doing some, some caching. Um, I'm guessing they're, they're sort of generating those things, but if we were controlling our own RSS feed as well, um, and actually our RSS feed for the the news pages, is all static as well. Um, but man, the world would just be a lot better place if like way more things were, were statically deployed and, and generated, you know, more at build time. And then if, if more people just use a CDN, like you said as well. Yeah. I think you just hit the the nail on the head, right? That's the big point behind this. So it's, it's really easy to get bogged down to like an argument over whether something is jam stacky or not, or how much, you know, and trying to put like a hard definition on it. But I think the, the whole point there is just to do as much as you can during the build step, leverage the benefits of those CDNs. CDN hosting is the best hosting aside from no hosting, right? Yeah. So you, you get a lot of benefits. You really shrink your responsibilities too. And uh, everything just works out better for building web apps. Like I know like five years ago, um, when I would go to build a website, it was a foregone conclusion that it would be ASP.net or, you know, maybe Ruby on Rails if I was feeling, you know, fresh or something. 
And uh, now I think uh, that that question has shifted. And so now I think if you're starting out on a side project or even a, a bigger project, maybe the first question you should ask if it's a web app is, can this be static? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's yeah. valid if it's not. You know, It doesn't have to be. But I think that should be the way we start that question. Yeah, blogs are such a good example because, you know, you'll have like an about page and like the thing, you know, it never changes, but your ASP.NET process there, every time somebody requests is like, oh, wait, let me generate that for you. Like I'm giving you, I'll give you an artisanal uh, about page, you know, just for your particular request. And it just seems ludicrous. And, and the, the sort of way that I always explain it too, it's, you know, when people run like WordPress, like you pretty much always have to use a, a a module or whatever they call them and add an extension, whatever it may be uh, to, to basically like uh, I think there's one called like super cache and it basically like saves those pages for days, which is basically static rendering, except you're, it's just a different mindset. It's like, I'm going to build a dynamic site, but I'm going to make it statically served. Right. But I think, uh, I think you have such a great point. Like you should just think about static as the default and then think about how you can add in APIs. And I thought your e-commerce example was good too, because if you have um, stock is such a great example, because that product page, nothing on it is going to change in, in many cases, except for like how many are in stock. And it's literally a number like 10, 11, whatever that API call is going to be so easy. It's going to say, get stock item number one, two, three, and it comes back and it says 10. <laughs> right. I mean, that API is going to be like fast, efficient, um, and it's easy to throw a caching layer on top of APIs as well if you want to. And uh, the funny thing is, is you're probably doing that already if you've got an e-commerce yeah. site. You don't want that whole page cached in Supercache or on Redis because there are pieces of it that need to be real-time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's kind of the funny thing about Jamstack is like most orgs or most websites are doing most, if not, well, maybe, I don't know about all, but doing a lot of these things already. So it's just a matter of kind of shifting a little bit to this mindset, focusing on those best practices, and then reaping those benefits. So I know we, we've kind of scratched the surface, but I, I kind of like want to officially ask this question. Like, what, what are the benefits of investing in this Jamstack architecture? Yeah, um, the first and the, like, the most programmery one I could think of is basically you've got a decoupled front end. So it kind of hits all those architectural best practices. You've got a decoupled front end that can stay up if the back end goes down and you're isolated from server side changes because kind of de facto you're going through an API. So if you change from you know SQL Server to MySQL, which never happens, uh, the, then you're insulated. Um, if you are changing from Ruby on Rails to Django, you know you don't really care about what is hosting that API layer. It says all you're doing is basically going through generally REST calls or you know maybe GraphQL, whether that's REST or not, I don't know. But it's just a good practice there. But then you get into the benefits of content delivery, network hosting, CDN hosting. And those are, it's basically the best performance, price, scalability, and then security. Because as far as you're concerned, you're just kind of throwing some files up on a, a content delivery network which is getting shipped around the world. So you're not worried about you know what those NGINX patches and whether they're up to date or whatever the operating system is, that's kind of out of your hands. And also, um, I want to mention, if you follow those Jamstack best practices, then you get a great dev story. The the best practices, which we should probably go through, but uh, they're really a kind of a great end-to-end dev story. So you start out with the project, you use the modern tools, you got the pipeline there, it's got a place for deployment and kind of a strategy around that. And so you've got an end-to-end dev story that just works great end-to-end. Yeah, so this seems like when you when you follow kind of this approach to building uh, your your software, it kind of like to me like I think of like the twelve factor app methodology, and it really seems to like mesh well with that kind of thinking. 
Yeah, absolutely. And microservices is another great example because now we're talking about hitting things and talking to other services through APIs rather than this big backend server that we used to kind of take for granted. Mm-hmm. I like it. Um, so what about migrating an existing project? How does how does that work? Is that possible? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, a lot of times the, the stuff that's kind of holding you back from being able to call yourself Jamstacky now is just the content. So if you've got a content-heavy page, uh, then you need to start slicing that stuff off into APIs. And that, there's actually a lot of services that have sprung up in the last couple of years, like Contently is one. Uh, there's some couple of other that are just content hosting where you pass them some sort of key and then maybe a language and they'll, they'll give that to you. And uh, you're going to want to kind of build that stuff yourself if, if you're using some sort of heavy-handed rendering. And uh, I actually went and looked at the WordPress code base and I was looking at the login page, just kind of looking around at examples of server-side rendering. And I was amazed at how much server-side rendering stuff was happening just on the login page. It's things like error messages. Um, there's code in there for like password reset. There's just a lot of work in there that's mixed in with that rendering. Mm-hmm. I know like WordPress isn't necessarily like the you know shining example of how everyone should code, but it's just kind of interesting to see that that's a, a nice reflection of things that I've seen in other code bases where we've got server-side rendering and logic kind of mixed together. And so if you can start cutting that stuff off, move that stuff to APIs, then you can separate that front end fully, throw it up on a CDN, and then give yourself a big Jamstack pat on the back. Yeah, because the initial login page like it could be static easily because it's it's literally like two text boxes that get posted to a URL you know so even if you had to like post back to the server or something that initial rendering could be static for sure yeah absolutely okay so so what about spas you know i think about spas i'm like th- those seem like they're probably close to being jam yeah and um get a little hung up on this sometimes i've definitely had uh, several arguments over the last couple of weeks uh kind of specifically about whether spas are jammy or not and I mean, in my opinion, if you can throw it up on a CDN, then it's it's pretty jammy. I don't think there's anything wrong with spas. I don't think they're good. They're not great at everything. And actually, a lot of the problems that you have with Jamstacky type apps are the same kinds of problems that you have with uh, with spas. Mm-hmm. But I like to focus on HTML files. I like that being the output because a lot of things that people don't like about spas are actually things that have gotten better, like using the back buttons and you know the app crashes. Now you've got to refresh the whole thing, but you're like you lose your spot of like, you know, eight nested clicks in. And I think you have some of those problems because essentially you're a lot of the static site generators are a tool around building a spa or something that feels like a spa during development time. So I think they're very similar. It's just a matter of where that rendering goes, whether it's heavy on the client side or heavy on the build. So I'm, I'm a little confused and it's not your fault, <laughs> but if I have a spot, let's say, cause I mean, I, I like, I, I, I'm, I'm, getting your jam. I understand it. And, uh, but I also have done spa apps and I think those are pretty cool. So if I want to do a jam app, like I, I sort of get it cause I I've sort of done those, but how do I like, can I use like angular? Like, is that going to make it not work well? Can I use react? Can I use those types of frameworks? Yeah. Uh, jam is technically, uh, it's framework agnostic. Yeah. So you could use vanilla if you want. There's no uh, prescription for that, and they love everything. There's actually a really nice site called uh, staticgen.com mm-hmm. where you can search for different static site generators. And uh, they do a really good job of listing out the technologies that are used underneath. Yeah. So you can say, like, hey, I like Python. I like Angular. Let me see my options for static site generators. And then I can use the tools that I'm used to in order to generate a front end that's going to be decoupled and I can throw it on the CDN. Interesting. Because the, 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 the static site generator is going to give me 
the site and the pages. But I'm wondering then, like, you know, Angular, it wasn't really designed, or maybe this has changed, I don't know, but it it feels like it was never really designed to be like loaded on every page change. You know, like you go to your about page and then you go to like a product page. Like essentially, I think with Jam, you're going to be requesting the next static uh, page and then Angular is going to sort of reload from, from zero, right? I mean, it depends on what you do. Like, uh, my favorite stack-side generator is uh, Gatsby. That's the one I've kind of yeah. invested the most time in. And the way it kind of works is, by default, if you follow the basic tutorial, you're going to be generating those JSON files, which are going to get loaded dynamically, just like a spa. Yeah. But they also have an API for creating pages, which will generate uh, HTML files and renders that, those out. And so that'll be more like the traditional kind of click. And the downside there is, like, if you click to a whole other HTML file, then it's requested the server, it comes back. Now, theoretically, all that stuff's cached, you know, yeah. so it's it's not that bad of the download, but you do have to repaint that whole screen and redo that layout, which is probably the same as the page you came before. So there's some overhead there that kind of stinks. Yeah, well, I found those to be fast. Like if you go to our website, our website is incredibly fast navigating between pages because it is, uh, you know, a static site. But I'm thinking the client framework itself. So let's go back to the e-commerce example and I want to display the quantity in stock. So like what what is your go-to for doing that? Like are you going to write like raw JavaScript or do you use it? What do you use for a client framework? So uh, uh, Gatsby is my favorite and it comes bundled oh, with runs. React. Oh, yeah. so okay, Gatsby, so yes. React on the client. I got gotcha. you. Okay. Yeah, that's my preference. And it also, um, Rea- uh, Gatsby is really interesting. And the reason I went with it is because I like React, but also it comes bundled with GraphQL which is a great isolation layer. So one thing I like to do is when I first start a new project, I'll throw a couple JSON files in there just to kind of get the ball rolling so I can render those, see what it looks like, uh, develop that. And when I'm developing with Gatsby, it is actually um, pulling that stuff real, you know, real time or using whatever um, services backing that GraphQL. But when I build it, that's when it actually goes through and materializes everything that I need based on my setup. Okay. So I like having that isolation layer there. And then if I change between those files, I can, it's literally a config change to say, use my sample files or use my database. Yeah. It looks like React uh, handles being loaded for a single page a lot better because Angular, I mean, it has a whole routing engine and all this other stuff. And maybe React does, I don't know React very well, but Angular like wants to be everything. Yeah. So it looks like it looks like React might be a little bit better solution. So I'll have to look at that because I'm I'm very interested in this. I think this is a great this is a great way of doing things. Now I haven't I haven't spent much time with uh with Angular, but I do know or I've heard that they are pushing into the build time kind of game. You know, I guess that's part of that trying to be yeah. everywhere. But uh, there's Angular AOT, which uh, I don't know what it stands for, but the idea there is to, to push more of that stuff to build time, kind of following in lo- following in yeah. line with Jamstack. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I want to use it on the client is my point. Like I, I want to, I want to make like a web and I can obviously use, I mean, jQuery would obviously be old and I could use like a backbone or, or sorry, knockout. Um, like I could use those things, but those things are like old, like, well, <laughs> theoretically, maybe, maybe they're coming back because of the pattern like this. Um, but it's like, I want to use a modern client framework. Um, so it looks like, uh, looks like I should be looking at, um, at react for that. Yeah, I think it's up yeah. to you, but um, it's, I think the main benefit there is just that client-side rendering. Yeah. Yeah, you stole the thunder with the example of GraphQL, but I was wondering what other technologies really shine with this way of developing. Uh, microservices is the big one that you'll kind of see mentioned just because you've got that API layer. GraphQL keeps coming up again and again and again. And aside from that, I keep hearing about high-level tools like things like Hexos or um, Jekyll or um, 
uh, I forget some of the others, but basically Hugo. static generators. Hugo, that's what I was looking for. Yeah, I I, uh, I was looking at Hugo a couple hours ago because uh, um, you know we use a different one, a different rendering engine, and Hugo looks like it's like a billion times faster than what we're using, and what we're using is not very well supported. So I, I'm taking a serious look at Hugo, which I don't know how they came up with the name, but it's it's basically written in Go. So I assume that the Go and Hugo has something to do with it. Um, but I'm I'm very interested in Hugo for sure. Uh, one thing um, I like is so if you're just getting started, or you just want to play around with Jamstack. Mm-hmm. Uh, the site Netlify. I don't know if you're familiar with Netlify. Does that ring any bells? No. So um, it's essentially CDN hosting, except that and these are, these are this is the company by the way that uh, backed and started the Jamstack. They started the term like a lot of the blogs. I think they're even affiliated with Jamstack Radio, but it's a service that's uh, CDN, but it also has a whole pipeline uh, pumped in, so you can give it your Git repo and specify your build command and i don't think they support go and ruby and whatever i, I know it supports uh, node but what it'll do is uh, you put your little build command in there it will pull your repo when it sees changes it will go ahead and do your, the node node build you can do previews you can run tests there even and uh, at the end of that it will do an atomic deploy so it basically deploys all it generates all the files and does a you know a quick swap over to the new location takes care of the uh, invalidation everything so if i was just starting out now I would absolutely start with Netlify, which is really weird to me when you're talking about starting up with a new stack and the first recommendation is like a third-party hosting company. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think um, there's a couple of ways to do this too, like with Azure, because um, I've actually t- deployed our site like as is to blob storage. And then you basically, it's a it's a bit flip to, to tell it to deploy to the CDN. Um, I thought that was kind of interesting. I was using it in preview and it was... It was doing some weird stuff, but it did work. Like for actual production users, it was fine. So we, I just never flipped the switch once it went into production. That's probably going to be our path forward. But the other thing that I would say um, is that um, you know, like our site gets it gets packaged up into a Docker container, which is incredibly easy because you literally are are saying, "Hey, I I'm going to use the Nginx Docker container," and um, oh by the way, here are my static files, and like it's it's a piece of cake. I would say that the advantage of going the Docker route is that whenever you do want to add your API pieces later, what you can do is you can have a separate Docker container that hosts those pieces um, in however many you know, the microservices and how many Docker containers you want. And then you could have a Kubernetes uh, YAML file that just says like, yeah, these whole things are, they all need to be deployed together. This is one pile of stuff and and please deploy it for me. So that's, that's the, that's the path that I'm slowly going down. I, at some point, um, the MS Dev Show, pro, you know, I don't. I think we'll probably run it out of Blob Storage and CDN, but um, there's a chance too that we might just run it out of uh, Kubernetes if I have a whole bunch of other uses for Kubernetes at the time. But the uh, the thing that I did want to ask you actually was around the APIs and the hosting. Um, can those be hosted on a different server? Like, do we do we have to have everything like sitting side by side, or can we go out somewhere else? Uh, you can go out somewhere else. Actually, a lot of the the tutorials and stuff, if you start working through, they'll actually recommend a lot of third party services. Like um, there's Elephant SQL, which is free. Postgres uh, SQL hosting, um, Contently is another one I mentioned. Algolia is a free search engine. Uh, Azure Search has a free tier for their search engine too. These are all great companions that work out really well because they're essentially APIs that you can use 
for free, which, you know, I'm kind of coming at from the side project angle here. So free is for me, but there's <laughs> no reason that your org can't use those managed services too. And actually, I think a big part of the reason why Jamstack has a name and has, you know, people talking about why it's gaining popularity is because of these managed cloudy services. And they've gotten so good and they cover a lot of the things that we used to have to take care of. Even SSL, like 10 years ago, if you wanted your static site to run on SSL, then you were looking at getting some sort of server, right? Mm-hmm. That was kind of hard to take care of. And then the CDNs kind of came along and uh, Let's Encrypt and they kind of made that easier. So really it's um, a combination of those managed services growing up and maturing and also the tools getting really good. So things like the Reacts and Angulars and Views of the World. Yeah, I was just wondering, you have to use, um, I was looking for, I can't, I don't know why I can't remember the term. I'm just, oh, cores. So I, you would have to enable cores, correct? Uh, yeah, if you want to be able to access that, like, so for Azure search, I could theoretically, you know, lock that off and say only accept things from this URL or this yeah. IP or whatever, I guess it would be domain. Um, yeah, so, you yeah, have to you have, have to, a file for the, for the cores to say like, yes, I, I allow you browsers to, to come in and, and request this thing separately. That's kind of interesting too. I mean, you could have api.mysite.com and like use that for all the non-static stuff, right? Yep. And that's exactly, um, so I've got a little podcast discovery app. Here's a little uh, pitch here where you can go and you can search for podcasts by topic. So you can search, oh. you know, K8, K8S and find Kubernetes uh, uses what's the, uh, Azure search. What's the URL? Uh, QIT.cloud. And I don't know if this is Jamstack or not. It's got a site <laughs> hosted on Netlify, right? It's, so it's hosted on a CDN. It does have a backend, but the backend is kind of optional. So if the backend is down, then it doesn't really matter. And that, that backend is in Ruby on Rails that we use just for an API. And so if you want to log in, like share your podcast queue, so after you find that episode, you hit play, you want to go pick it up on a separate device, then you're going to need to log in so we can kind of sync those. And that uses a Ruby API. And if that's down right now, then your site, you know, for the normal use case isn't degraded. It's just once we get that back up, then things should kind of sync up. But it absolutely runs on api.qit.cloud. Oh, okay. That's cool. I, I really like that architecture and that separation, especially for like caching purposes and everything. Yeah. And that site cost me $5 and six cents to run a month. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> now it's seven. It's rough. Yeah. <laughs> and, oh, uh, you know, you mentioned technologies that play nicely with this. Um, actually, uh, there's a Azure server as this function in there too that runs and uh, po- like populates the search feed. So it goes out to oh, all that's of the RFS feeds and runs that on a schedule. And that's where that sixth sense comes from, actually. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah. All right. So, I mean, I think you've got Jason convinced about this, but w- what are the downsides or risks to, recreati- uh, to creating sites built on Jamstack? Yeah, I think it shares a lot of the downsides of SPA. So if you're working heavily with uh, front-end technologies, and a lot of times it's up to developers to worry about back buttons and good routing, loading masks, you know, things like that, handling app crashes. Uh, So I think all that stuff's there. But um, ultimately, I don't think that's such a big deal. We've been dealing with that for a long time, so it's not really anything new there. But I do think there are some awkward admin experiences. So if you've got a CMS and you've got a marketing system or a marketing team that needs to go in there and kind of manage that content, now you've kind of separated, you've drawn a line there into two different pieces where you've got an admin tool and a front-end tool. It's totally de- decoupled. So now you have to kind of manage that connection. You've got to do some work around that. Whereas if you were doing something like WordPress, that just kind of kind of worked. But, uh, I think um, there are tools coming out like a WordPress headless, uh, headless CMS, whatever it's called. It's kind of that idea there that you kind of have a separate service that you run for the back end mm. and it runs as the API and then you've got that detached front end. Uh, also, if you've got something that can't take care or can't 
take advantage of build time rendering, then you're not really getting the advantages of hosting on a CDN. So if you've got like a really heavy analytics dashboard or something, then you're not really getting any benefits over like a traditional spa. Okay. Anything else you wanted to mention about Jamstack that we didn't cover? Um, well, the only thing that, uh, I kind of want to bring up is like, for me is, uh, I'm, I would say full stack developer. I know that's kind of controversial, but, uh, and I am heavier on the, the back end. It just makes more sense to me. I feel better in it. But what I kind of think about this kind of rise of the static generation and the CDN hosting and the build time rendering is that, uh, it's kind of a sign of the way things are changing. So I don't know if we're going to be using the Jamstack term five years from now, especially since there's a guitar amp that shares the same name. <laughs> But I do expect that more and more things are going to be moving to build time rendering because it just makes sense for the hosting and developer story. So if you're a back-end developer that's been relying on, you know, server-side rendering or if that's kind of the world that you're used to, then it's probably worth a peek looking at what this means and how your job might be changing, you know, down the road a couple years from now. Very cool. Very cool. Like I said, I, uh, the MS dev show, I just love, uh, it blows my mind how fast you can navigate between pages and you never get this like random, like, why is this thing slow? Um, because there's no reason why it would ever be slow, <laughs> especially once we do get that into a, a CDN. So I'm pretty excited about that. And Google loves that too. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Carl, what do you have for the tech tip of the week? Uh, the tech t- tip of the week is something I like stumbled on by accident. Mm-hmm. So uh, we've made it very clear that uh, both Jason and I have iPhones and we both have vehicles with CarPlay. And uh, I was uh, parked in a parking lot taking a meeting on Teams and somebody was giving a presentation. So I had my like tiny iPhone. It was plugged into my vehicle uh, to stay charged and stuff. And uh, I wanted to take a screenshot of what was going on in this PowerPoint. So I just you know, hit the, the home button and the power button to take a screenshot. And I noticed like something different happened than normal. So what do you think what happens if you're hooked up to CarPlay and you take a screenshot? Well, you already told me, so I already know. <laughs> I, I, you know, it's funny. I, I would, I would not expect it to take uh, a screenshot of both. So it takes a picture of what's on the phone and what's on the CarPlay head unit. Yeah. So in this case, I, w- I had Teams up, so it took a, a picture of the home screen. But if you have like uh, Google Maps or something like that, it'll take a picture yeah. of the map as it well as the, the printed directions. It makes sense, but it's not something you think of. I taking a screenshot and I get two pictures. Yeah, I mean it's pretty handy. Like I, I think that I think that was really smart. I mean that's just them thinking of something that we didn't really think of ahead of time. So definitely good to know. And, and it's funny, I take like, I'm surprised that I didn't stumble upon that. Um, I take, uh, I take a couple screenshots every day unintentionally. I don't know if you've ever looked at the, <laughs> at the newer iPhones. So I'll just show you the bet. Well, it doesn't really matter, but, uh, there's a home button and on the other side of the volume buttons, the screenshot on this is the home button and the power button. Let me just hold those buttons. And I know it, oh, yeah, that's so easy to do basically by squeezing the phone, you take a screenshot. So I take so many screenshots all day and then I have to delete them just because I hit those two. Um, and actually I ran into, this is not the only device that does this in my wife's car. She has the, uh, garage door buttons on the, the rearview mirror. Every time I go to a, it was whenever we have the polar vortex, it was like minus 60. And I go, I start driving away. I put, I put the garage door down. I go to adjust the mirror and here I opened it again. And I was like two, I was like two houses down. I had to call her and I'm like, I think I opened the garage door again. Can you close it? So just bad, bad user uh, interface design there. And then what do you have for the dev tip of the week? 
So a lot of people really like uh, and get specific on their font that they use for coding. Uh, people have like a, their favorite font, like Fira Code or something like that, so they get ligatures. Uh, but what I found was really interesting. If you go to uh, the link in the show notes, there's a, a, a code or a, a font from Font Bureau called Input. And what, what they let you do is they let you like really specify it. So you can go to the font style. There's alternate letter forms. So they have like A with a straight leg and A with like a, like an extra loop in it. And like same with the G's and you can customize the I's and the L's and the zeros so they don't get confused with O's and each other. Uh, and even the spacing of them all. And you can see a live preview in the language of your choice with a bunch of different color options. And then what's the, the coolest thing out of all this is once you make this and it looks really cool on the website, it's not stuck on the website. There's a button that says download, download input with all of these settings. So you can tweak this font to your desire with width and weight and line heights and all of that. And then at the end of the day, you can just download this and it'll be your absolute customized best font ever. That is, that is so cool. I, you know, it's funny, like I, I'm not a font nerd, so I never really thought about this. Like they have, they have, uh, alternate versions of some of these letters, like the A and the A, like, you know, I recognize both, but it's funny how different they are. The G's, um, it's, it's amazing how different all of these are. So maybe I'm a font nerd now. <laughs> you will be. Yeah. That is so cool. What font is it? It's, it's called Jason. It's, it's mine. <laughs> it's Jason one, four, three. <laughs> All right. So you also had a really cool dev tip. Yes, I did. So, uh, I found there's the, well, I didn't, well, I did find it, I guess, uh, by way of Twitter. Uh, this is a, uh, this is the GitHub repository called not paid. And, uh, basically what it does is it adds an opacity, uh, to the body tag and it decreases it every day until, uh, the site completely fades away. So the idea here is that if you have a client that did not pay for their website, um, their website basically slowly goes away. <laughs> um, and then people, you know, commented and said like, Hey, it should also like fade basically from their website into like a message saying that the client didn't pay. Um, so that would be pretty, uh, that would be pretty cool. Um, but you can, you can change here, like what the deadline is, um, you know, how many days it should take to fade that type of thing. So I thought this was pretty clever. Um, okay. Any, anything else we wanted to mention there? I think we got a lot done in this episode. Yes. Excellent. Okay. So, uh, let's see here, Joe, where can people find you? I know uh, Carl collected a whole bunch of links here, but where can our listeners find you? Yeah, I mean, technically I'm at the Joe Zach on Twitter, but I hardly ever tweet there. Everything is basically goes into at Coding Blocks. Okay, very cool. And everybody should go listen to Coding Blocks. I think the website is codingblocks.net. You got and, and, <laughs> and in addition, uh, you know, we went kind of light on this episode, considering that you on your podcast spent two and a half hours on this topic. <laughs> uh, that's after the edit. <laughs> it was a week before <laughs> yeah so you know i mentioned uh, kind of getting hung up on the details there between like jam and spa uh we plow right into that conversation so if that is something you're oh <laughs> yeah i want to hear that yep. <laughs> i love details very cool and then carl where can people find you you can find me on Twitter at Carl Schweitzer. You can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash ytechie. So Joe, thank you so much for coming on here and talking about Jamstack. Thanks for having me.